everyone. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. This is a podcast designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. I am Erin Hesse, and I am one of the hosts on the podcast, joined with our senior pastor, Nick Gibson, today. Hey. And we are going to be covering just the questions that we did not get to cover from AMA from this most recent sermon this last Sunday, which was our fall kickoff. So, um, Nick, actually, before we jump into the questions, why don't you just give a brief synopsis for our listeners as to what our sermon series is going to be about, which is essentially what you covered mm-hmm. at the sermon this past Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, the series is called Unbrandable, and it's it's kind of getting at the, at the idea that um, the kind of simplification and focus on what consumers want that um, branding can be all about. Um which is a good process in commerce, trying to get things to people who right. want things. Uh, it can be a bad process in other things. And a spiritual life with God is one of those things that can be really mm-hmm. bad because when we try to simplify God or we try to brand him or we try to fit him into people's tastes, oftentimes we're doing exactly the opposite of what we should be doing. And instead of growing mm-hmm. in wisdom, becoming more complex ourselves, living out the image of God, instead we're trying to simplify God into some graven image, which is what he called an idol and was very upset about in the Bible. Right. And so um, trying to repent, just repent of that seeing where we're really trying to simplify God and make him fit our tastes um, and really seeing the kind of complexity that is built into what, who he is and what he's done and what his character is really like so that it can complexify us so that we can live into the image rather than trying to make him a graven one, a, self, a self-invented idol. It's kind of the idea here. Great. And the assumption is that this is a particularly bad area of our lives right now mm. in our present culture, that we need that we need to hear this message again. Yeah, that's great. Well, so as we go through these questions... Hopefully, listeners, you will get more of a uh, ask me anything experience from our Sunday services because we do have a 90 second timer. Mm -hmm. And so we will be going through the questions, hopefully that about that speed. Um, But then if you have follow up questions, you can always um, email us and we would be happy to expound on any of them. Yeah. All right. So, Nick, first question is. If we aren't supposed to make images of God or idols, why do we have a cross hanging in the church? Isn't that branding? So, yeah. So th- there's been a, a reasonable amount of controversy over the history of the church in what's sometimes referred to as the iconoclasm controversy as to what counts as a graven image and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. Right. So, for example, in the temple. So, so God says, don't make a graven image of anything in the heavens above or the earth below. Right. And yet in the temple there are carved like pomegranates and palm trees and images mm-hmm. of things that are in creation. Right. Right. And within that, it says, and bow down and worship them. So there's this, so one interpretation of that commandment is you shouldn't make an image of anything in creation or in heaven that you're going to worship. Okay. And so as long as you don't, you don't worship it, it's fine. Sure. Right. The image itself. Yeah. And so even pictures of Jesus, you could, have fallen to that. If you, if you have an, a picture of Jesus, but you don't wor- you're not worshiping the image. That's why people have been upset with like when people in like Eastern Orthodoxy have icons. Yeah. Right. Are they, yep. but in a pr- sort of like they sort of pray to the saint mm-hmm. is, does, isn't prayer a form of worship. And so aren't they worshiping the saint and then therefore aren't they worshiping a graven image? And isn't that right? Yeah. Th- this is the con- the controversy, right? So there've been times where the church felt very strongly. Some people have against that and they destroy just everything that's an image or art of any kind. Mm-hmm. That's called iconoclasm, right? And this is found in all religious traditions, actually, like the Taliban, for example, when they just they just destroyed a bunch of like artifacts all over the oh. country. That's iconoclasm. It's like all these images, they shouldn't exist. We shouldn't have these representations yeah. of God. It's bad. Yeah. Right. Um, but there's there's also a healthy version of that where like you get rid of the idols. 
Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so um, whether or not the cross counts as something that we should have an iconoclastic view towards or not, it, I, I've never, I don't have any objective criteria for that. Yeah. Where I can say like, oh yeah, it's bad or oh yeah, it's good. I think that having symbols of meaning can be really good. Right. And the cross has a complex symbol of meaning. Yeah. And, th- and how we respond is more the issue than the symbol itself. Right. But if you, if we, if I knew that people were worshiping the cross, I would destroy it. Right. Yeah. Well, so someone asked a similar question and you touched on this a little bit in your answer. Mm -hmm. Are are representations of Jesus against the commandments as far as like creating an idol, worshiping an idol. So at the representations of Jesus being the, yeah, I don't, I also don't know an objective way to, prove the answer to this question either because when god makes an image of himself in the person of jesus can we make copies of it right right um i am very uncomfortable with depictions of jesus because most are inaccurate Mm -hmm. and most people like the inaccuracies Mm. so they like a white jesus they like a black jesus they like a whatever jesus yeah and jesus probably didn't look like either of those people and right um so I don't, I don't love images of Jesus for that reason. I, I don't know that it's a breaking of the second commandment. Sure. But I think that the caution in the second commandment should be close to our hearts whilst making such things. Yeah. Great. All right. Next question. Can you expand a little bit more on how God reduced his complexities in the 10 commandments and yet he didn't reduce himself? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in commandments, when God tells us to do particular things, he can, um, God can, can take all these complexities and simplify them into a conclusion that we can then do. Mm -hmm. So, um, there might, so for example, when God gives a commandment, you shall not commit adultery. He might have a lot, lots of different reasons. And there may be a few reasons in favor of adultery and a hundred reasons against it. Like Mm -hmm. there may be some kind of complex matrix, but in the end, the conclusion is still going to be don't commit adultery. And that's very simple. Yeah. And so commandments have the capacity to take who knows how complex, maybe infinitely complex, maybe less things and to simplify them into a statement, mm-hmm. an axiom that we can actually operationally use. Yeah. That's different than saying that I've described a person without remainder. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And so God doesn't describe himself completely or without remainder. He tells us true things about himself. So I think it was Francis Schaeffer that said it something like this. He said, um, we can know God meaningfully without knowing him exhaustively. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think the, the point of God's self-revelation is that we would know him meaningfully in all the ways we needed to know him. So as to operate so that we could love and appreciate him. And also we could obey him mm-hmm. and know him without us knowing all the infinite internal complexities of his being yeah, or his character. Yeah. Sense? yeah. Yeah. So if I understand the question, that's what I mean. Yeah. Great. So sort of the, I guess the other end of this kind of question, can you re- reiterate some of the popular simplifications about God that you find unhelpful as opposed to the 10 commandments, which are like you said, not simpli- simplifications about God, but about his commands towards us. Are there some specific ex- examples? You did give some during your sermon on Sunday Yeah. Um, about yeah. ways that we've simplified God. Sure. Yeah. And we'll do that for the next six weeks on some of these, but some simple ones are like, like the, the posters are meant to be that there's six posters. They're all meant to be simplification. So one is Jesus suffered. So you don't have to, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because it, Jesus did suffer. That's true. He suffered for you. That's true. Mm-hmm. He suffered in place of your judicial suffering, like the penalty for your sins. And so that suffering, you don't have to suffer. Mm-hmm. Right. And Jesus brings a certain kind of victory and blessing into human life. 
right? Yeah. So for all those reasons, you can see Jesus did suffer. He suffered to deliver us from suffering mm-hmm. and he suffered so that we could experience victory, healing and blessing. Right. And so it's easy to take from that, this simplification of like Jesus suffered. So I don't have to. Right. right? I've heard that. Yeah. And in fact, I think when I was shown that poster, I was like, I, I think I agree with that. Am I not supposed to agree right. with that? So, okay. Right. So yeah, and so why that's at, a problem. Like, there's one level of analysis in which that's kind of true. Mm-hmm. Right. But then, you know, Paul says in Philippians three, he, he says about receiving God's righteousness. He's, he says, you know, having received God's righteousness, I want to, I want to, I want to know Christ. Mm-hmm. And part of knowing Christ, he says, is becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain the resurre- resurrection from the dead. And so he, Paul believed that we actually walked in what, what Roman Catholics and other like high church people have called the way of the cross suffering. Mm. Right. And through our walking in the suffering and being like Jesus in his suffering, we somehow through that attain the resurrection from the dead. Yeah. That is we experience real faith and do experiencing real faith in the real world. We end up suffering not for our sins, but we end up suffering out of love for the world and out of yeah. seeking to bring life for the good of the world. In doing mm-hmm. that, we become more like Jesus mm-hmm. in that we become united with him in his sufferings, in his sufferings right. in us, in his sufferings in himself as the Christ. And in that we are fully his and, and have a union with him. And in that union, we also then experience resurrection from the dead through mm-hmm. our death. And so like, that's one of them. And there's, there's just piles like that, like that, yeah. that like God wants to make you powerful. God is powerful. And, and there's all kinds of like metaphors of the believers being victorious mm-hmm. and yet meekness, it, Jesus says is supposed to be this huge hallmark of who we are, right? That we, we have swords, but we don't use them. Yeah. Right. Whenever, yeah. whenever it can be avoided. So, and there's, a, there's, so there's six of them that we'll cover. Like love is another example. We simplify love to like, well, love is love. I mean, mm. like those yard signs that yep. in Madison say love is love. Like, mm-hmm. like it's self-evident what love is. Like it's just tautological because right. in a lot of people's minds, love is you give other people what they want, mm-hmm. which is usually affirmation. So love is affirmation, right? Yeah. See, both classically, historically and Christianly, no one's ever believed that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's too simplistic to be meaningful. Yeah. And so um, in a culture where you think everybody's too conservative and the most important thing is to break that up, mm-hmm. um, like the attitude in like the 60s around the sexual revolution, you kind of have that now. And yeah. I, I understand why that is. And it's it's mainly because people are because we have an anxiety epidemic hmm. and in an anxiety and depression epidemic where everybody seems to be psychologically suffering um, instead of figuring out why you why and how you've perpetrated this on yourself. Uh, your first step is to try to medicate it Mm -hmm. and the way you medicate is like well let's just be nice to everybody and so let's just uh, let's just like affirm everybody right when that's not what produces growth or maturity Mm -hmm. is the problem Mm -hmm. right and love means um acting sacrificially for the true good of another right and to do that you have to know the true good is and it's their true good whether they like it or not whether they believe in it or not Mm -hmm. so you might have to do the opposite of what somebody wants and not affirm them in order to love them right right and the and christians call that holy love does that make sense? Yep. So, yeah. and so those, and there's many, 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 many others, but, um, you know, Jesus wants to make you rich. If you're generous, Jesus, God will give to you, mm-hmm. which is true and also very misleading. Yeah. So there's a lot of these in, in most of the versions of Christianity you hate and most of the pithy little attacks of Christianity you think are probably stupid, but you know why are almost all in some way, a version of this sort of thing. Yeah. Well, and I think it'll be a good challenge for each of us to, to, to think about what are the things that we say that we don't find too simplistic, but maybe actually are. And mm-hmm. to, to take that, I've heard you use this phrase before that one step deeper and asking ourselves, why am I saying this particular comment to this person who's grieving? Or why am I wanting to say this truth to my child? Am I trying to sweep over something that 
is not as simplistic as I'm trying to make it out to be right now. Yeah. And hopefully that'll be a good challenge for people. Yeah. And part of this is just a developmental struggle that we have in everything in raising mm-hmm. kids and mentoring others and growing ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right. Because we don't, what we're dealing with is not reality in our minds, right? We're dealing with our best conception of reality. Mm-hmm. And there's some point where our conception of reality falls apart. Yeah. Like, like we, we have an experience that's more complicated than the conception we already had. So like when you're a little kid, your parent says, God will protect you. Mm-hmm. And that is true, Christianly speaking. God will protect you. If you get dragged off to it and you get um, incinerated in, in a concentration camp, God will protect you. Meaning he will raise your dusty body from the grave and on the last day, right. judge your oppressor and you will have eternal life. And in other ways where you could have lost your faith, but you were really his. And he did all these things that you didn't even understand to protect you. That is to protect your soul mm-hmm. and to protect your dignity in himself until he ultimately restores it in the resurrection from the dead through his Christ. Right. right. That's what it means. Yeah. Now, when you're a, a four year old, your parent doesn't tell you all that. <laughs> right. He, they just say, I know you're scared here at night in bed, but God will protect you. Exactly. Right. And so yeah. you can trust him. And yeah. you don't explain that there aren't goblins. And mm-hmm. like, you're just like, listen, just pray. And you have to learn to trust God in the moment where you feel nervous and you can, you can trust God. Yeah. But when you decide to be a missionary to central Iran, mm-hmm. that conceptualization is not sufficient. Right. And at that point yeah. you're going to, you have to take something that looks kind of like a branding. It's too, it's too simple, mm-hmm. but it was true, but it was too simple. And you have to get, you have to grow in your conceptualizations. And so in some ways, these little like overly simplified brandings of God, in some ways they can be somewhat useful in highly immature states. Mm-hmm. But if they don't grow, then what happens is life then gets more complex than your conceptualization. And a lot of people, they don't realize they, what they think is what they believed was the truth. Life became more complicated than that truth they believed in. Therefore, the truth is false Yeah. and they lose their faith. I see this happening to fundamentalist Christians constantly Right. Yeah. where they're like, I believe this. And I, I, this lady wrote to me in, uh, through a Facebook thing not too long ago where she said, I, I, I clarified why the, th- the objection she made was clearly logically false. Mm-hmm. It was just a bad objection. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, I've just seen too much to believe this meaning that because she'd now experienced more of the curse yeah. she, like th- that was just too much mm-hmm. for her to believe the doctrines she believed before when of course it had nothing to do with it yeah right yeah jesus knew that children got abused in this woman this one in particular mm-hmm. some children got abused and she jesus knew when he said the things he said that children in the world were getting abused he knew mm-hmm. that right and so what right so like yeah. when my dad was killed by a reckless driver um, I was, I had been okay for years with people getting killed hmm. and I felt, but I felt my faith kind of get shook by that a little bit. And I felt, <clears throat> I remembered reading the book of Job that semester and thinking, how shallow would it be for me to be upset right now? I, like mm. I knew this was happening all over the world and conceptually yeah. I could, I could accept the philosophical argument that God was good in the midst of the curse as he was working providentially for a, a larger good that he was working in salvation through Jesus in the church, in all creation. Mm-hmm. Now my dad just died. Right. It's and infinitely if I just go, more personal. Well, you know, th- oh, all that was stupid. Yeah. Well, if that wasn't, I have been stupid for years. Yeah. But what I need to realize is what C.S. Lewis said in, I want to say this is in uh, the Mere Christianity, where he said, if you, if, you need, if you decide whether or not you should kill a prisoner of war, whether it's right or wrong to kill a prisoner of war, should you ask the guy who just stormed up the hill, mm-hmm. who saw his, both his best friends get killed right next to him and their blood splattering on his clothing, who just captured the prisoner of war, mm-hmm. who has a lot of, quote, lived experience in, in, in what these prisoners of war have done? Or do you want some guy in an armchair in England deciding whether or not it's philosophically correct to kill somebody who's just surrendered? Yeah. And Lewis is like, he's like, I know it sounds terrible. You want the guy in the armchair making yeah. a decision. 
Yeah. Right. Not the guy who just stormed up the hill. And mm-hmm. we live in a culture now where, where, where we think it's the guy who stormed up the hill. Right. And that's wrong. Yeah. We are often yeah. clouded more by our lived experience than ex- we experience revelatory reality. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we find out we were flippant before and we weren't paying attention to the sufferings of others. Right. And, and that lack that, that when that flippancy is torn away, we have to grapple with something deeper and that can be really good. I, that's happened to me a number of times in yeah. my life, but sometimes we just lose our nerve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Next question. Why in the, so this had to do with an element that we had in the service. So why in the prayer that we recited at the end of the service, did we say, quote, the Catholic church in one of the lines, I think this person is referring to our reciting of the apostles creed. And so before answering that question specifically, give a real short explanation about maybe where the apostles creed originated from or why we say it. Yeah. What what happened is, is that as the church or the very, very early church, right? You had all the different books of the Bible being circulated as the writings of the apostles. Mm -hmm. And you had churches that knew the gospel and they, the gospel was a deposit in the churches themselves. But by the time you got into the second century, you started to get heretics, people who were teaching stuff that was just was not right. And this was happening by the end of the first century. It got worse in the second century. Right. And a lot of these people were pretty charismatic and stuff. And so what was happening was the church was like, okay, we need resources. And of course now by this point, the apostles had all died. So mm-hmm. you didn't have the living apostles to tell you. Right. right. And so the, the church was like, okay, what do we do? And so what they did was, is they looked at these heresies and they got together in these things called councils and they put together two things. They put together doctrinal statements, which we know as the creeds, mm-hmm. right? They um, specifically called certain things heresies and said, these should not be believed. Right. Mm-hmm. And also what they did ultimately is they canonized certain group of books to be um, acknowledged as the written scriptures. That is the word of God written, mm-hmm. what we call the Bible today. So that we would know what was the source we were looking at, the scriptures. Right. And we would also know what was correct Christian doctrine, believed mm-hmm. in the apostles and with us from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And the Apostles' Creed is the, is the oldest of the versions normally recited. And the Apostles' Creed has a number of versions. And the one we recite is just one of the edited versions. Okay. Okay, so talk a little bit about what we mean then when we say the Catholic church. Yeah. So the word Catholic people, people don't know that word has meaning other than the Roman Catholic church. Right. As a a denomination. Right. For a lot of Americans, that word Catholic, they've only ever come across it relative to the Roman Catholic church. Mm -hmm. So when they see the word Catholic, that's the Roman Catholic church. Right. The reason the Roman Catholic church is called the Catholic church is because the word Catholic means universal. So they were the universal church founded and centered in Rome. Mm-hmm. So the Roman, they believe the Roman bishop was the first among equals of the five to seven episcopates or like the sees or the seats of mm-hmm. bishops, bishop power. And that that person was first among those. Mm-hmm. And that therefore the administrative and functional spiritual authority of the great pastor or father over the whole church, which is what Pope means, um, is centered there. And so, but the word Catholic just means universal when the, but, but the, what we know as the Catholic church didn't exist as the Catholic church in distinction from other churches until like a thousand years later. Right. Right. There wasn't an, even a split between the Catholic church and the Orthodox church until the 11th century. And then as we understand Catholic versus Protestant, that wasn't until the 16th mm-hmm. century. So when the, when the church fathers wrote the apostles creed and they put in the, I believe in the Holy Catholic church, mm-hmm. they did, they couldn't have possibly meant the Roman Catholic church. Sure. What they meant was all of the churches everywhere. All the saints that have gone before us, all the who have died in faith already, and also all the people in every language, tongue, racial group throughout the world are yeah. all part of one body of Christ. And I believe in this one body of Christ, that there's only one church. 
and I am part of it and I believe mm. in it. Yeah. Great. Okay. All right. Next so no matter how anti-Roman Catholic you are, you should be able to say, <laughs> I believe in the Holy Roman, uh, the Holy Catholic Church in the Apostles' Creed. Right. And in the Apostles' Creed, as a distinction that you can see visually, the C is lowercase yes. versus capitalized, where it right. would be if it was a denomination. Yes. All right. So next question. How was the bronze serpent that we read about in Numbers 21 different from an idol? It was originally different because God told them to make it. That's the main difference. Right. So he, mm-hmm. he said, I want you to make this thing and it's going to represent your salvation. So it's going to give you something to look to. Mm-hmm. Right. And so in the other cases of idols, people just make them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so God gave them that, that symbolic thing. But as you see later in the scriptures, uh, people at some point began to worship it, not as right. <laughs> this artifact of the miraculous thing God did in salvation history, but instead as this God that they were worshiping. Mm-hmm. And that's when one of the Kings destroyed, I think it was had been Hezekiah. I can't remember, but they destroyed the bronze serpent, which is so sad. Yeah. Can you, rem- can you remind us w- what the purpose was that God had intended behind having it formed for it initially? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in this, in the story, I think it's in numbers 21 where, um, the people have keep testing God. And there's one point where God actually sends poisonous snakes and they, those, these snakes bite people and they die. Oh yeah. And th- so they cry out to God to, so they're crying out to God to save them from God's own wrath. Mm-hmm. And so God makes a way for them to be saved, but he doesn't take away the, the wrath. He's like the wrath stays, but if you will believe and trust me, I'll save you from it. Right. And so he says, make a bronze serpent and put it on a big pole, like up in the air. Mm-hmm. So everybody can see it everywhere in the camp. And if somebody gets bitten by a snake, if they will just look at the bronze serpent mm-hmm. in faith, they'll be, they'll be healed. And, and, and it says that happened, like the plague went away. Yeah. People didn't oh. die. And so Jesus picks up on this in John three, when he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the son of man has to be lifted up. Mm. And so he's, he, Jesus was saying, I'm the, I'm the snake on the, on the pole. Yeah. Right? And you have to look, I will be lifted up, meaning on the cross. Yeah. And you have to look to me to be saved. Yeah. Or you will ultimately be you will succumb to God's own wrath. Mm-hmm. But if you call out to God for him to save you from his own wrath, he's provided the serpent on the pole, which is me. Yeah. So, yeah. That's great. Mini sermon right there. Oh yeah. I've preached that sermon. <laughs> All right. This is the last question and it's a very application focused question. You said that we should want all churches to succeed in Madison for the kingdom of God. What can we do to support other churches in the area? And I think that this, you could answer this question in a, mm-hmm. a number of ways. So depending on which church you're wanting to help, if you're talking about how do we support them as an organization, as high point or individually or as a small group. So take yeah. it as you will. So I do, I do need to make a distinction. I, I don't literally believe that every group of people that has a church building and calls themselves a church that we want to support and make sure that they flourish. Um, so I, when I say that, I'm talking about gospel-believing churches, churches that believe in the biblical gospel. Mm-hmm. They believe in the historic Christ as Savior and King, the God-man who died for our sins and rose for our justification, and that they believe in the Bible as the as God's written word yeah. for us. Um, so churches that might be called progressive churches, I don't mean churches that have people who are progressives who vote for Democrats or right. people that believe in progress, certain progressive policies like that we should have lots of refugees or lots of immigrants or something like that. That's not mm-hmm. what I mean. People who are progressive in their, in their Christianity, that is they've reshaped Christianity to fit progressivism, the secular movement mm-hmm. um, and that view of human nature and human life and human flourishing. Um, and that they don't disagree with progressivism where the Bible disagrees with it. Mm-hmm. And a, the biggest, most obvious one is in sexual ethics. Sure. Right. So yeah. like 
um, affirming churches, people who like affirm what you might call the LGBTQ political agenda, mm-hmm. as opposed to honoring and loving and caring for people with non-normative sexual phenomenologies, mm-hmm. right? We want to love and honor and, and help and support people with non-normative sexual phenomenologies, right. but we don't do it that way. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, but there's lots of versions. There's lots of versions. That seems to be the most popular, the one that that's like the, the flashpoint. Mm-hmm. Now, there, therefore, we we're looking at churches that like believe the gospel and that are different than us in two ways. One is, sorry, I'm going to take more than 90 seconds. You know, on this one. That was the explanation as or clarifying. So that, I'm just clarifying good. so I can start the answer. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so there's two kinds of churches. One is there are churches different from us in idiom, meaning they believe in the gospel and the Bible and the Christ and all of that, but they just, they have different emphases. They have different ways. They do stuff, different idioms. So like charismatic churches focus a lot more on the gifts of the spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some Baptist churches that focus a lot more on like Bible memorization or whatever. Like there, there are some differences in idiom mm-hmm. and we want to support churches that are just, they just do things differently than us, but they believe the gospel. We want those churches to thrive because generally speaking, those churches just reach different, reach different people. They're in different places. All that, right. Mm-hmm. Second is ethnic and racial and national and linguistic diversity. Mm-hmm. We want there to be Spanish speaking churches. Right. Because there's a lot of people who Spanish is the language that they can converse in on the level of spiritual depth. Mm-hmm. We also want different different ethnic churches because they're they're people do tend to cluster around ethnicities and it's sometimes easier for them to find Christ and to come together with the church if if there's robust um, gospel witness. I, I would love to see the day in which all the churches were truly integrated mm-hmm. in, ter- in that there were no direct expressions but like at the same time, um, if that happened, there would be cultural fusion. Yeah. And you just have one, you would have one culture left. Right. And it would be nothing, none of the ones that exist right now. Is that better than having multiple cultures and truly having a multicultural church in the city that is, that is separated, but not divided. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah. I think it would be better for us to be together Yeah, and deal with that. Um, I think we become more loving in the long run. Anyway, the point is, is that we want to support minority churches mm-hmm. as well that believe the gospel. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and it turns out in terms of churches that believe the gospel, the minority, majority, minority churches tend to be more theologically conservative in a lot of ways mm-hmm. than, than the most, mostly Anglo churches. Yeah. And so um, there's a lot of churches to support. Yeah. So we've done that. We've been able to support churches like as an organization, the elders have, you know, taken m- you know, an overage or some, something that we've budgeted to help support a church, like where they need a, a new roof mm-hmm. or where, um, a pastor who is working just 60 plus hours a week doing multiple jobs, help, helping out in some way financially. Mm-hmm. Are there other ways that we have been able to support and help local churches or suggestions that you have for <clears throat> individuals like congregants who are wanting to know like, well, I'm not on the elder board. I'm not yeah. delegating that those funds specifically. Are there other things that they could do? Yeah, I think that there are in, in, in a number of cases. So um, we're trying to get together work projects at churches oh, where yeah. we can have like exchanges where like we do a work project at that church and we tell a bunch of churches to show up for that. Mm-hmm. And then we have a work project at another church and then we have a bunch of churches show up so that we actually have like mixed crews and people working yeah. next to each other and so on. We are working for that at SS Morris and I think we're getting closer. Good. Some of it is just using skills and abilities. So for example, SS Morris, now that they've got the roof done, mm-hmm. they're working on re- renovating their kitchen because one of their biggest ministries is a food ministry, right? Yeah. And so like um, Mike has been trying to help bring in people with kitchen design expertise mm-hmm. and stuff like that. 
um, where they can use their skills to help this church. And yeah. that's not something they could have, if, like if somebody is good at kitchen design, but they're here, but we're not building a new kitchen, mm-hmm. they don't get to do that. But if we can connect that person with the church that is building a new kitchen, right. you know, all of a sudden that stuff can happen. Yep. Um, business leaders like, like um, saying, hey, uh, I can get in touch with my friend whose company builds um, gas ranges and we mm-hmm. can get one for that new kitchen. And like th- th- that kind of networking is really important and yeah. really helpful. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the areas where people have the capacity to serve and build up other churches is, uh, is a lot of churches um, are some of these minority churches in particular are trying to work with schools mm. to help minority students. And a lot of times it's tutoring that they're looking for and yeah. care programs. Yeah. Um, also we've done a lot of work with just capacity, like, um, trying to help a church that wants to do a particular ministry, but they don't have the organizational wherewithal to do it yet, mm-hmm. or they don't know who to get in touch with or like how to grease the skids and, or like make it go. Yeah. Sometimes it's just, they just need somebody to be connected with somebody or somebody to just help them get it organized. Mm-hmm. Cause a lot of times, like if you're a pastor and you're working two jobs on top of your job, right. the idea that like you can get the organization together to start a school or something, right. Just it's not there. And it's so, um, also like our team has like mentored pastors mm-hmm. of other churches and some of those are other ethnicities and some of them aren't right. It's mm-hmm. where we get in they're like, I don't know how to reshape my elder board so that I don't do everything. Mm-hmm. Right. And a lot of the reasons why some of the minority churches don't grow is not just because they, their pastors are often bivocational. A lot of times it's just because the pastor is literally expected to do everything. Yeah. That's just kind of the role culturally. Yeah. And, and there's, there's a point where like they need to steal something from I don't like to say white culture, but there's like, they're like white churches are used to having lots of competent people in Mm -hmm. them because we just tend to have lots of professionals. And so like when the pastor does everything, it actually makes us upset Mm -hmm. because they're like, who do you think you are? Right. (laughs) But oftentimes in, in minority churches, the pastor is one of the most competent people in the community. Mm -hmm. They really are. And so people looked at them and they're like, well, pastor, can't you do this? And can't you do that? And like the pastor has to be like, actually you can do that. Mm -hmm. And so for some of these churches, a big step is like getting an elder board. Mm. that's functioning, that's doing things, that's ministering and so on. Yeah. Um, some churches that have done this, not with our help, but just have done this. Like, like Mount Zion has this, has a pretty strong deacon board and they use that to try not burn out their pastor, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's, it's, it's doable. It's not, it's not necessarily culturally focused, but it's some, so we've, we've helped in a lot of ways that we, we yeah. have a reputation for being pretty good at giving money to things right. that make a real difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of that is because we often have relationships with the people we give that money to. We've talked right. about the plan for a while. We're giving other personal resources. Yeah. And um, and when we call on our people because folks in the church can get involved, they often really do. So mm-hmm. when we we had to do like a huge landscaping project at the Faith Place a few years back, mm-hmm. um, man, we we a lot of people showed up. We yeah. Had, we had a guy show up with his tractor and man, it just made a huge difference. Yeah. So. Um, so I, I think the biggest thing, if you're in the church and you want to participate, make sure we know you, Yeah. make sure we trust you that when you say stuff, you do it mm-hmm. because we're not going to connect you with a minority church in particular to help them. If you don't do what you say, you're going to do every time because mm-hmm. yeah. we're not going to lose our reputation because you don't do a good job. Right. Yeah. And so make sure we know what you do. We know the kind of person you are. We know that you're super reliable. And then when we ha- we can use your gifts, like we will call on you because in a lot of cases, building up the church, it has everything to do with networking, mm-hmm. knowing who can do what, where, when, and how. Right. Um, very practically speaking, the way that you can let us know that is by emailing our new pastor, associate pastor, Devin White, he is overseeing our congregational care and the, the team of people that he can reach out to. If someone, if we find out that there's a need where there's, whether it's childcare or a meal that's needed or landscaping or plumbing or electrical work, Mm -hmm. 
if we, we can't connect you to those people, if we don't know that you're out there, that you exist with those skills. And so mm-hmm. you can email him at D white W H I T E at highpointchurch.org. Mm-hmm. And, and you can still go into the hub and and yes. do that in your settings. You can like put in your gifts and your passions. Yep. Yeah. If for those of you who are familiar with the hub, which is hopefully many and most of you listening, mm-hmm. there's that's our online database and directory. And there's a an area in there where you can put in the things that you're passionate about, the kinds of gifts and areas of service that you'd be interested in. And then the staff can easily do a search on like, okay, who, who mm-hmm. enjoys gardening and mm-hmm. who could we call to do a such and such project. So yeah. those are a couple ways. And I want to say one last thing about, um, especially supporting other churches, especially relative to minority churches, but this is also be also be true for smaller churches sure. is, um, there, there's a group of pastors that I help serve with called the MP3 pastors and it, and it, I know it's kind of a hokey old name now, but, um, <laughs> but the three P's are, um, prayer, promotion, and protection. And that is, we protect each other. We pray for each other. We promote each other. One yeah. of them is promotion is like when we see smaller church pastors or minority pastors that are really good at something, we, tr- we tell people about it. Yeah. Not because we want them to have more of a workload, but because we, we want to increase their prestige. Yeah. And so one of the things we try to do is we try to increase the prestige of pastors of, that have smaller audiences who we think will be faithful, at least with that thing with larger audiences. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in that, that's partly like looking at churches that are growing and developing well, but they just need some more resources to like really make that go better. Yeah. Um, like for example, uh, Pedro's church was here, right? They met in our building for like, I don't know how many years, right? Mm-hmm. A number of years. Yeah. We saved up, we saved all the money they paid us in rent. And we give it back to them yeah. so that they could buy a new building. They just bought a new building and that's great. Right. Mm-hmm. Some people are like, okay, well, what now, right? Yeah. Well, I was just at a church that has an African-American pastor. It's a multi-ethnic church, lots of different ethnicities there. Very small uh, worship space inside of a, inside of a business building, like a like mm. office building. Yeah. And they need more space. Yeah. Um, and it was standing room only the last couple Sundays, they mm. said, right? So that's the possibility of a church that like, they could they could meet after, after our services right. in our church grow, as they grow a little bit more, then they could think about how they could get a freestanding building because as a church having a freestanding building, it's much easier to grow than if you are like in the E-suite on the second floor right. of an office <laughs> building. It's so hard yeah. to get road traffic. And most of these office buildings are like back behind this building, behind that building, yeah. behind this building. So um, people don't think to come to your church. Right. And they often won't put forward the effort to find it. Yeah. So by promoting smaller churches and minority churches, we can help them grow as well. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Didn't know that was happening. That's and then awesome. we offend people at our church so that they go to some of those churches. <laughs> right. Great. All right. Well, that's all of our questions for today. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you have a podcast idea or a question you'd like answered on the podcast, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a more substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways we have to reach new listeners. Until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.